you, Jesus. You guys give the worship team a hand just for leading us so powerfully. Happy Easter, everybody. Welcome to Living Waters. I'm Ryan. Uh, my wife, Kate, and I have a joy of, of co-leading this house with an incredible team of people um, and uh, that are here this morning leading us in worship, helping us uh, walk out this morning, loving on our kids and kingdom kids. And so it's just a joy to be a part of this team, be a part of what God's doing in this, in this house. And we're excited for the months that are ahead. We've made it to spring. Things are beginning to change rapidly, and we're believing that, uh, and we're participating with that and of what God's doing. And so uh, it's always fun to preach on Easter. I, I've told... Um, the first gathering, I have one Easter message, uh, and, I, and I preach it every year. If you come on Easter's, is in, in Easter's. Uh, if you come on Easter's and Christmases, you're going to hear uh, my, the same messages over and over and over, and that is okay, because this is a vital message that I love to teach because it deconstructs some of the misconceptions we have about God and about what happened on the cross and about all the things that were taking place around. It. And so it's such a joy to be able to preach the same message to you over and over and over. And if you listen really well, you're going to start to recognize that I, I don't only have one Easter message, I have one single message that I just uh, changed the titles of, and uh, it's the same good news. This is the same good news of what Jesus has done and who Jesus is, and we get to teach it over and over and over and over and over. And we're praying today, not that you you would get everything that we say, that you're not furiously trying to take notes, but that one point of revelation would, would hit your heart today, and you would take it from this place, and it would become a seed of freedom that God uses to grow out of your life and through your life. And so the message that we're going to teach is in Colossians 2, and it's Psalm 22. So if you want to mark those, that's where we're headed. But before I use that scripture... Um, my old tried and, tried and true joke is this, is that at first, before I can use any other scripture on Easter, I have to use John 3, 16 and 17. It's in my, it's in my pastoral contract. Um, so, so let's begin with this verse. And, and all kidding aside, the reality of why is John 3, 16, 17 so well known? It's because it summarizes the entire gospel so perfectly. And if we could camp on John 3, 16 and 17 and leave, live our life from the reality of what it teaches us, we would live in so much freedom and power and authority. It would be incredible. But what happens often is that we take the simple good news and we start to attach religious mechanisms to it. And we start to attach rules and regulations and hoops that you have to jump through and ways that you have to look and ways you have to talk. And, and you got to memorize all of your scriptures and you got to come to church this many times and you got to give money and you got to do all these things. If you're a really good Christian, you won't watch that particular show. And before long, we've taken what should be very very simple and light, a seed that people can take to their life, plant it and watch it grow into something. We've turned it into something heavy that too many Christians are laboring under a version of Christianity that is not truly Christianity because if it comes with heaviness and if it comes with performance, I am here to tell you that is not the good news. We have to make the good news great again. If that's what we should be worried about is just make the gospel great again. Make the gospel simple again. Let's stand in the truth on this Easter of who Jesus is and what he's accomplished and make sure that if anybody's in this place or can hear my voice and following Jesus has brought you into a sense of shame or guilt or heaviness, I want to speak that to you, speak over you and say that is not from heaven. 
That is not the reality of what Jesus has accomplished, that you should be carrying something light, hope-filled, and joy-filled. So I want to get back to the essence of that, and I don't think I've read the verse yet, so let's read it. For God loved the world so much... He loved so much that it cost him something he gave. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him would not perish. Anyone and everyone who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Believing in Jesus brings us into resurrection life. Not eternal life just in the future, but the reality of resurrection life here and now that your life now, your resurrection life of Jesus is in you. That you would not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, what? But to save the world through him. Come on, Jesus, come and judge some people. Don't you see what they're doing out there? I didn't come to judge. I came to save and, and, and set right and redeem. And that's what he's doing in you. And then that's what he wants to do through you. You get to participate. That Jesus hasn't come through your life to judge the world, but to save the world. That you are the light. That you are salt. That you are to go into these places, the highways and the byways, with your life partnered with Jesus. And bring such a message of freedom and joy and love that people cannot help but respond to the kingdom and come and bow their knee to the king of the kingdom that you represent. That's what ambassadors do. Ambassadors bring the reality of the kingdom that they're from and they show it to different cultures and say, here's the riches of my kingdom. Here's the power of my kingdom. Here's the reality of my kingdom. They walk into cultures and they reveal their kingdom and then they create alliances based on that and they invite people to say, come and be a subject to this better kingdom. That's what you guys are called to do as you're following Jesus as ambassadors is that you would put his kingdom on display in a way that people would be filled with anticipation at the opportunity to kneel before Jesus. Is that the kind of Jesus that we're representing? Is that the kind of Jesus that we're carrying? Is that the kind of Jesus that we're releasing to the world around us? I hope it is. With all of my heart, I hope it is. That simplicity of his love of John three sixteen. The reason why this is such a well-known scripture that it's just we should camp here is because of the truth and simplicity of it. Jesus left heaven, came to earth, walked this life, went to the cross, but the cross is also empty. Then he went to the grave, but the grave is also empty. That's the reality of Easter that we are celebrating is that Jesus didn't stay on the cross. He didn't stay in the grave, but he is resurrected. He is seated on the throne. All of darkness, all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our past, it has been completely dealt with and defeated. That's why we love to talk on Easter from Colossians 2. Listen to Colossians 2. This is verse 9 through 15. For in Christ, all the fullness of God lives in bodily form. Huge theological point. Carry that with you. We cannot lose that reality. For in Christ, all the fullness of God lives in human form. And in Christ, you've been brought to fullness. For those who have said yes to Jesus and have aligned your life with him and surrendered your life to him, the reality of the maturing work of the Spirit is that he is bringing you, has brought you, and is bringing you into the fullness of God. His presence, his fullness resides in you. He is the head over every power and authority. Your old self ruled by the sin nature was removed. It was cut off by Christ. When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. Not what you did, but what he did. 
He forgave all of our sins. He forgave all of your sins. Verse 14. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. What was happening on the cross, this scripture is telling us as plain as possible. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them at the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Because of Jesus, because of the cross, listen, grab this. All of your sins are forgiven. Wait, Ryan, the ones I've confessed, the ones I remember doing, the ones, no, all of them. What about the ones that I have yet to do? All sin was dealt with once and for all by Jesus. All sins are forgiven. Not only are all sins forgiven, this scripture tells us that the record of all the charges against you have been canceled and removed. We can't even find those records in heaven of what you've done. I mean, I would love to hear some stories. I'm sure they're great. But when it's been, when it's been uh, removed in heaven, it's not just a big list that has some crossed out marks on it. And you can kind of be like, oh, yeah, I remember that time in 1978 when you... No. Um, all the records of the charges against you are canceled, removed. Here's the other thing that took place at the cross. This was not just for you. It was a, it was a battle. Spiritual rulers and authorities were dealt with. They were disarmed. And not only disarmed, but they were defeated and publicly triumphed over at the cross. We're not talking about some back, rooms, back room deal here. We're talking about the center of the cosmos, the center of human history that Jesus said, I will go to the cross. I will willingly lay down my life and I will defeat sin and darkness and death and I will come out of the grave victorious over all of those things so that I can invite my sons and daughters into relationship with the Father and they can live as co-heirs in what I have accomplished. Total victory over the dominion of darkness, over sin, over shame. It's all been defeated by Jesus. That's why we celebrate. That's why Easter is such a big deal, but it should be every day of our life, right? Right. So, when they hung Jesus on the cross, speaking of the cross, there's three things that I want to focus on that Jesus spoke from the cross, and there was a few different things that Jesus said, but three things that I want to specifically focus on this Easter for us to look at. And so those are this. Jesus, when he was raised onto the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Something else that Jesus said on the cross was this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then the final thing that Jesus said was, it is finished. I want to look at those three statements on the cross, but first let's just remember that as Jesus was arrested, he was put onto a false trial that shouldn't even have happened. And in that trial, he was found guilty by the, by the religious rulers of blasphemy and by the, the Roman rulers of insurrection. And so between all of these things and his false trial, he was condemned to death. And so we see Jesus taken and beaten and whipped, and his face was unrecognizable, and his back was torn open, and he had thorns, a crown of thorns hammered into his head, and, and, and they raised him up onto a cross, and on that cross, his, his, his joints are being pulled out as he's trying to keep himself from suffocating on the cross as he's had his, his 
arms and his legs hammered into that cross. And he is raised up on that cross. And I want us to understand this morning what took place on that cross and why Jesus would endure that type of treatment and pain and what it was that he was truly accomplishing so that we don't miss this reality as he's grasping for breath, as he's pulling himself up and he's tired and he's hungry and he's, and he's beaten down and then underneath him there's these soldiers who are literally gambling for Jesus' cloak that they would see who can win this from this dead man who's going to be dead soon. Who can, we can take ho- this home. And they're gambling at his feet. And the first thing that Jesus says that I want us to see is at the beginning of that as he's raised up on the cross is this, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. That's in Luke 23. Jesus forgave his murderers while they were murdering him. Not after they recognized it later. Not after they repented. Not after they said a sinner's prayer. Not after they kneeled down before him. None of that. While they were in the act of killing Jesus, he forgave them. No apology. No nothing. That was the heart of the Father being put on full display before all humanity. That's saying, even though you would hurt me, even though you would sin into me, even though you would kill me, I forgive you. And there is no greater sin that, hu- that humans that rest upon humans collectively than that we had God who came in the flesh and we killed God. And if God forgives that, then imagine your life and lay it out before you and know that every single thing that he looks upon it and says, Father, forgive. Father, forgive. That he is releasing forgiveness, a powerful display of forgiveness while they were still killing him. All the other stuff I mentioned, the repentance, the confession, the the sinner's prayer, all of that stuff comes as a revelation and a response to what Jesus has done, not in order to procure it or earn it. It is a response when we have the revelation of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, that we would fall on our knees and say, God, forgive me. I repent. I turn. I disengage from my former life, and I engage fully in your life. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then Jesus later on, as things escalate and as his life begins to wane, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he calls out to God in Matthew 27. And I want to talk for just a minute about why would, God, why would he say this? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is it? And we've been taught so many things about this. Is it because God can't look on sin and, and, and that's why he had to turn his back on Jesus? We've been, if you've been in church for any length of time, there's a possibility that you've been taught that God can't look on sin. It's from Habakkuk. You can look it up later. But the verse says, God, you are too holy to even look upon sin. And then he goes on to say this. So why do you? Why do you look on sin? This is the reality of that scripture. It's been pulled out of context and used incorrectly. And if we see the whole scripture, God, you're too holy to look at sin. So why do you keep doing it? Because you are a faithful, patient God of grace who forgives and can look upon our lives without turning away. Imagine if Jesus couldn't look on sin. Wouldn't that be a pretty awkward thing that he'd have to do walking around, uh, you know, like Jerusalem going, oh man, I can't, oh, I can't, oh, oh, oh. 
I'm just going to close my eyes and walk around. No, what do we see Jesus doing? He keeps going to the sinners. He keeps going to the hurting. He keeps going to the, to, to the person, the woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery. He goes to his disciples who are always making a mess of things. He hangs out with the tax collectors and the sinners. Jesus looked upon sin and he was fully God. So it wasn't. Why do you forsake me? Because you can't look on sin. We know, we understand that Jesus took on all of our sin on the cross, right? So it wasn't that, that God couldn't look on sin. Then what was it? Was it because God was, he must have been pouring his wrath out on Jesus. This was his punishment was that I'm now going to turn myself away from you. Beside the fact that that doctrine ultimately leads to the reduction of the Trinity, uh, the problem is that is that you don't see the wrath of God ever as the cause for the cross. You see our sin and our choices and our response to a God who came to show us what God is really like. And we hated that and we responded to that and we put him to death. This was not a moment where the wrath of God was being poured out on Jesus and God had to turn away. What was really taking place? Understand this. Jesus wasn't rescuing us from the wrath of a vindictive God. He came instead to reveal a God who has always been with us, has always been loving us, has always been forgiving us, and has always been pursuing us. Even if that pursuit includes subjecting myself to death on the cross, you will see what my love and forgiveness looks like. You will see how far my love and forgiveness goes. Even if it takes unto death, my love and forgiveness will not be quenched. Because the resurrection shows that he won victory over sin and over death and over unforgiveness. And he came out in life to say, I will pursue you through the cross. I will pursue you through the grave. And I will come out the other side and invite you into eternal life, resurrection life. Because I have dealt with everything that anyone would hold up against you and say, but, but God, don't you know that this dealt with it? In fact, publicly made a fool of that accusation on the cross. And it has been expunged from their record. It is not in heaven. So why are we holding on to it on earth? So, so often the things that are entrapping us in guilt and shame are religiosity that we invite here on this side of things. But if it's not true in heaven, why do we want it to be true here on earth? The way that we live our life needs to be more reflective of the work that Jesus has done and the completion of that work in heaven than in the reality, this temporary reality of what we are seeing here and now, and that's what Jesus came to put on display. He is pursuing us. He has always been with us. He has always been loving us. He has always been forgiving us. So why, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because he's referencing the first line of a psalm. And that psalm is Psalm 22. And I'm going to read this entire psalm to you. We're just going to honor scripture this morning by taking a few time, a few minutes to hear this and let it go into our hearts. But in that time, Jesus obviously didn't have the uh, opportunity to recite this entire song or this entire poem as he's hanging on the cross, but he wanted to make sure that his followers had a measure of redemptive hope because they didn't understand what was taking place as they watched their Messiah, their Savior, their friend die on a cross. They still hadn't comprehended what was fully taking place, and they were about to be swallowed up in hopelessness. And so Jesus, to remind them of the prophetic act that he was doing, 
he pointed them at Psalm 22 because this is the story of the cross. And in that day, when a, when a rabbi would mention, would, would, would speak out the first line of a psalm, it was understood that they were calling to people's minds the entire psalm. So remember what Jesus did on the cross. Remember what I described earlier of the things that were taking place. His, he was nailed to the cross. People were gambling under him. And let's listen to why Jesus would say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we're going to learn in this moment that God wasn't turning away from Jesus. So if you need to close your eyes to focus or if you want to pull up Psalm 22, you can. My God, my God, the first verse. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In, your, in you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Didn't that take place? Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me for trouble is near and there is no one to help me. Jesus deserted on the cross with so few around him. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions that tear their prey. This is speaking of the nations. Open their mouth wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lion. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In this assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All your descendants of Jacob, honor him, revere him. All you descendants of Israel, that's his holy people that we are called a part of. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations will bow down before him for dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. 
All the rich of the earth will feast and worship all who gave, who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive, posterity will serve them. Future generations will be told about the Lord. People not yet born will be told the Lord saved his people. They will tell people yet to be born about his righteousness that he has finished it. Jesus didn't just mention the first line of Psalm 22 to bring that to people's minds. He bracketed it at the end by also saying the last line of Psalm 22. It is finished. And so the power of this reality that Jesus is pointing his followers to and pointing us to isn't that God forsook him and turned his back on him, but that God was with him in his suffering as he fulfilled the vows and the process that he was called to, that the nations would hear and be saved and that future generations would look at Jesus and say, he has done it. He saved us. It is finished. And that's what Easter brings to us as that reality. Where was God then if he wasn't turning his back as maybe so many of us have been told? 2 Corinthians 5, 19, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. You want to find God in the midst of this look at Jesus. The cross did not break the Trinity. It revealed it. The cross didn't take us to that place where we get to see God turning its back on Jesus, on his back on Jesus. We get to see the revelation of the fullness of God's love played out in a story that involves all of us and that we are invited into. So this is your religious detox moment of the day. Let's be careful of any doctrine infiltrating the church that wants to pit God against Jesus. And my heart loves Easter, but I know and I'm praying, I know that there's a lot of people who are going to hear a gospel message today that has more to do with believe in Jesus to avoid the wrath of God than believe in Jesus to experience the fullness of his life and resurrection that we're promised in John 3.16. Believe and receive resurrection life. And so many times the gospel is presented as a way to avoid God instead of as an invitation into his heart. And that's what we want the gospel to be is an invitation of that reconciliation into his heart. I don't want people to come to know Jesus because they're afraid of God. I don't want people to come to know Jesus because they're afraid of eternity, eternity isolated from him or hell or, or whatever. I want them to come to know Jesus and come into a relationship with God because they hear the simple good news. God loved so much that he gave his son that if you believe in Jesus, that you too walk in this resurrection eternal life. You don't have to fear any future punishment or isolation or retribution. You get to stand in hope, undying hope of what Jesus has brought you into. Eternal life and that reality is so good. God never turns back on Jesus. 
And if we believe that, I know it may seem like, Ryan, why are you harping on this? But if we come to know Jesus at the beginning of our relationship, the inception point of our relationship with Jesus is the inception point of our relationship with God. And if it comes mixed with fear that God was so angry at us about our sin that he couldn't contain himself and he had to kill something. And so he killed his own son. If that's the gospel to us and we hear that, that's the inception point. What is it going to be? How big of a leap is it for you to say, don't fail God. Don't let him down. Make sure you hit all the marks. Make sure you follow all the rules. Make sure you look a certain way, act a certain way. Oh, that shame and guilt, it's actually good for you. Hold it close so that it'll modify or it'll, it'll make you live a certain way because if you let go of it, you might get too free in grace and just start to grow. We don't want that. You need to be under control of religion that says, this is how you look. Why? Because we're afraid of God because we think that God turned his back on Jesus and killed him in his wrath. And that's no gospel to invite somebody to because it's not the gospel of Scripture. When Jesus is playing his day, said, that's not what's taking place. Look at Psalm 22 and be free. And the inception point of what we believe is going to bleed into the entirety of our relationship. And if we would say, oh, God did forsake his son Jesus, but he's never going to forsake you. I thought Jesus was perfect. We joke, but the reality is, it's like if we believe in a God who did that, then how big of a leap is it really for us to feel that same way, to live under that same kind of thing? That's not God. Jesus, we we haven't always known what God is like. We messed it up for generations and generations and generations. We have entire books of the Old Testament that explain to us the ways that we misunderstood who God is and what God is like. But Jesus came. And now we know what God is like because we've seen Jesus. And we know a God who would lay down his life rather than be out of relationship with you. Come on. That's a powerful reality that we want to live in. So he said... He said, with the time that we have remaining, we're okay, we're fine. That was the important stuff that we needed, we really needed to grab onto that. And then he said, it is finished. So this is the most wonderful, powerful declaration. It's the end of Psalm 22, but it's also the reality is that his work was finished. What God, his father, had asked him to accomplish was completed. And he had gone through the temple and now he was seated in the heavenly realm saying, it is finished finished. And that's the declaration that he speaks over every single one of us on this Easter is I don't know where it is or what it is that you're holding on to today. I don't know what has power over you or guilt over you or shame over you, but I need you to understand that when Jesus went to the cross, he had that in mind. He had you in mind. He had the thing that you're holding on to that's hurting you and undermining you. He had that in mind and he defeated it. And then he declared over you, over me, and over every single one of us, it is finished. It no longer has a hold on you. It no longer has a power over you. And what do we have to do in response to that? Except to just receive Jesus and lay down our life for him and say, come. Come and fill me. Come and use me. My life is yours. And so here's what I want us to do. 
I know a lot of you in this room have already given your yes to Jesus, and, and, and I understand that, and I, and I want to encourage you that your yes to Jesus today is simply going to say yes to Jesus and pursuing you and bringing you into deeper revelation and reality of who he is and who you're made to be and how he loves you. But if you're in this room and you haven't said yes to Jesus, we want to invite you to do something really simple as we wrap up our time today, is text the word follow to 541-982-4576. Side plug, if you're new to Living Waters and you haven't text the word loop to that number, go ahead and do that too, because then you'll get into things that are going on around here. But if you want to follow Jesus, text the word follow to 541-982-4576, and you're like, well, that seems so impersonal. What are you using technology if we can't get saved through technology? Um, Uh, 541-924-576. If you text that, what that's going to allow us to do is actually to go into a deeper level of connectivity with you where we can follow up, we can get to know you, we can pray with you, we can meet with you, we can allow, we can walk out this journey of following Jesus with you so that you're not on your own. It's so much better than just doing it in a room full of people. You raised your hand and then you left and we never see you again. We are not called to make converts. I'm not called to convince you about Jesus. I'm called to disciple you in a relationship with Jesus. And to do that, I need to be able to connect with you. So please, if you want to follow Jesus with us, Text follow to 541-982-4576. You'll also get a text back that has um, just a, a really cool gospel thing that I wrote out to show you scripturally how we're in a relationship with God and what that all looks like and that you'll get that. So that's the first group of people. The second group of people, if you're, if you're like, oh my gosh, I, I'm not, my relationship with Jesus is not in doubt, but I think I've come into this relationship with Jesus uh, in fear of maybe him smashing me or I deal with a lot of different guilt and, and all of those things. Maybe the inception point hasn't led you on the healthiest journey in relationship with Jesus and you just want a fresh start and some information and connectivity and some prayer to, to say, I want that Psalm 22 reality, not that God forsook his son and killed him reality. And if you want that, you can also text follow to 541-982-4576. We'll follow up with you and you'll get that, that text out and we can connect with you. That's what we want. We want to walk with people, real people's lives on other people's lives, walking out a deeper relationship with Jesus. And to do that, you have to break that wall of anonymity and you have to step out and say, okay, here I am. I know that Jesus is calling me and knocking on my heart and I'm saying yes today. And your yes is simply this, text follow to that number and we will we'll walk that out with you. Amen. Okay. Hey, we love you guys. There is so much more to unpack here. I know I've probably messed with some things. And for that, I apologize. Don't freak out. Don't panic. Um, you're good. We're good. Jesus is especially good. And on this Easter, we just bless you with an increased revelation of not only who Jesus is, but what he accomplished on your behalf. And that everything that was lined up against you and would accuse you has been defeated on the cross put to shame. It's a laughing stock in the heavens because he sees you for the son and the daughter that you are. And he's running to you in pursuit. We love you. Happy Easter. Have a great Sunday, you guys.